This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good morning. Thank you so much. God bless all of you. Glad you came here today. If you need a Bible, once you get your hand up and our ushers will gladly get you one. As you're doing that, I'm going to go to 1 John 2, and then we'll go to the book of Luke chapter 18. 1 John 2 and then Luke 18. If you get your hand up, they'd gladly get you a Bible. Here's your little thought. Just, just through the praise and worship, sometimes the Lord will move in this way with me. I believe this is for several of you in here. I don't know if you have ever done this, and you probably have growing up. That you remember being on a teeter-totter, and the teeter-totter would go back and forth like this, and sometimes you were at the very bottom, and the person that was on the very top, when you bailed out on them, bam, it was very destructive for them. And I sense that right now, that some of you are teeter-tottering on some areas of your life, and you can bail out. You can get off, but you're going to cause destruction at that other end. I don't know who all that's for, but I'd get a hold of that, okay? Think before what you're getting ready to do and make sure the hand of God is upon it, all right? Just kind of a little bit of a warning there from the Lord. I like when God moves in that way and sometimes just gives us analogies. So that's a simple analogy, but heed it, all right? Okay, here's where we're at again. We're on free indeed, and I'm still going to go on it a couple more weeks. But today, through the video, you you begin to see kind of an area we're going to move in today. And, you know, uh, humility makes its way for honor. But pride leads to destruction. And one of the ways we become very prideful, if we're not careful, is an area of righteousness or self-righteous. And we can become very self-righteous in many areas. You know, just because you've been married a long time, doesn't necessarily mean it's because of you, but it's because of God. And you know, there's times in our life where we look and we think, man, my my children are so awesome and they're so good, and that may be true. But often we take the, the, the thought that it's all because of me. And if we're not careful, even growing up in the church, we think, well, I, I'm a person who prays, so things happen for me. I do this and I do that, and it's because of me. Even at your job, God's blessed every one of us with talents. But many times we start taking credit for the talent instead of giving it to God and saying, we thank you, Father God. Now, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, He, Father God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be become our sin. Now, listen real close to this. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, when I read that passage right there, he didn't say that we may become righteous through our acts or behaviors. He said that we'd come the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. So, is it wrong for me to do righteous things? No, it's a good thing for me to live righteous. It's a good thing for me to be righteous. It's a good thing for me to be holy. But again, those don't qualify me as righteous. The only way I become righteous is through the Lord Jesus. Now we begin here in 1 John chapter 2, 1 John 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and in in these two verses, there's a two-fold provision. He says first, my little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. Now again, God's desire for us is that we don't sin. But he goes on to say, and if anyone sins, plural, 
If anyone sins, as if the Lord knew that there were times we'd still miss it. If anyone sins, and the word sins there means literally to miss the mark. We have an advocate with the Father. Now that word advocate there actually means a legal counselor. Someone to to plead our case, to speak on our defense. A legal position on our behalf. Actually, it's as if he's an attorney. And he said, we have an advocate with the Father. Now look who this is. Jesus Christ, the righteous. If you'll note right there, it specifically says Jesus Christ, the righteous. But it doesn't mention anybody else's name because there's no other way that we can be righteous except through Jesus. So thank God we got an advocate. Thank God we got someone that will represent us in the courts of heaven. Thank God that when, when we go before God, we don't have to plead our case or our cause. We just plead the name of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus. Verse 2. And he himself, talking about Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. Now that's a word that we don't use very often. The word propitiation literally means a covering or a sacrifice for our sins. And it said he himself. Jesus became that covering for our sins. And he goes on in with that verse and says, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And so when we begin to, to think that I'm righteous because of what I do or based on my actions, it's a trap. It's a trap that's going to get us in trouble. Now I want you to go to the book of Luke chapter 18 and this will give us a little insight of what this looks like to a degree. But the key is we just keep our hearts right and we just keep looking to Jesus. And we keep welcoming everything he did in our life. Luke chapter 18. And I'm going to begin in verse number 9. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted or justified in themselves. That they were righteous and they despised others. The message says they based it on moral performance. The New Living said they had great confidence in their own righteousness. Now this tells me right there, I I can begin to get over and think, you know what, I'm I'm really a spiritual man. I'm I'm really this and this and this. You know what, I, I pray more than other people. I go to church every week. I do this and this and this. And it's if we're saying... The reason I'm righteous is because I've done all those things. And so watch how the Lord Jesus deals with this right here. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee would be viewed as high status. The tax collector would be someone that was viewed in their uh, society or their, their way of life as scum. Now, it's interesting that both of them went up to pray. And again, oftentimes we see people coming into church and sometimes we look at people and we think, what are you doing here? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that God created every one of us. And anytime we start thinking we're better than thou or holier than thou, to a degree we've slapped God in the face and we've said without saying it, Father God, I really don't approve of this person even though you created them. Now this is what he begins to get at here. And so the Pharisees were viewed as their religious leaders. 
I hate when people say you're a very religious man. I hate that thought. I don't want to be religious. I don't want anything about religion with me because religion usually fell back to say, look how holy I am. Look how much I know. And again, it gets my focus off of Jesus and who he is. Verse number 10, verse 11. Then the Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. That's a bold statement right there. I thank God I'm not like other men. You can hear the religious in him. And he goes on to say, I'm not an extortionist or an extortioner. I'm not a cheater. He goes on to say, unjust or a sinner. I'm not an adulterer. Or even as this tax collector. Now something happens when we begin to compare ourselves to other people. And what happens is that's stinking better than thou. And that's not a God. Any way, any shape, any form. It's very clear that, that God created mankind equal. And when I start thinking that I'm better than other people, I am rooted heavily in an, uh, heavily in an area of pride. Look at me. Look at me. Now, watch the next verse. This is amazing to me. Verse 12. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, to fast, that's a good thing. And to tithe, that's a good thing. But this guy is beginning to mention them as his credentials, as his resume, and say, look, I'm so much better than everybody else because I fast twice a week. If you guys would just do what I do, and I tithe off of all my possessions, if you guys would just figure that out, just be like me. And so you begin to sense the arrogance in there, and in this verse you see I. Now, we were in Isaiah 14 a couple weeks ago, and there were the five eyes that Isaiah talked about with the devil, and he said, I will, I will, I will, I will. And again, when I do that, you know what I'm saying? God, you didn't have anything to do with my success. It's because of me. Keep reading. And the tax collector standing afar off, would so, not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is incredible because this guy right here, he puts the robe of humility on and there's something about a human being that says, Father God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner that's saved by grace. And this guy right here, he cries out to God. He said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. In other words, Father God, you change me. You work in me. And the truth of the matter, if every one of us in this room were ever changed, it wasn't because of me. It wasn't because of what you, It was because of the goodness and the grace of God. And so something happens when I yield to God. Which means I'm going to surrender. I'm going to give up. And I'll say, okay, Father God, I'm a sinner. I've blown it and I've blown it and I've blown it. Actually, that is the true root of humility or the robe of humility. Ooh, I put that on. Now watch how he ends in verse 14. 
I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified. The word justified literally means to be declared righteous. If we were to follow justified right there, it would take us to the first verse I quoted, 2 Corinthians 5.21. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That's the only way I become justified. Here's a better way to understand justified. Because of Jesus, it's just if I'd never sinned. I've been justified. So he goes down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone, now listen to this, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's the great exchange. So something happens when I become humble. Now I want you to go to the book of Job. Now we're going to be there quite a bit this morning. Go to to me the book of Job, chapter number 1. And we're going to look at a man here in the Bible. You may say, where is the book of Job? It's right before the Psalms. The book of Job. Not Job, it's Job. I remember when I got born again, I, I needed a job. So I thought, well, I'll read the book of Job and maybe I'll get a job. But it's not Job, okay? Don't, don't be moved by butchering the Bible at times. It's all right. You know what? God loves us just how we are. The book of Job, chapter number 1. And I believe we'll learn some great passages from this. Job 1.1. There was a man in the land of Uz, not Oz, that's a wizard, the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, and he was upright, and one who feared God, and he shunned evil. Now, Job was a Gentile. But it says right here that Job was blameless and upright. Now, this does not mean that he was totally without sin. This literally means that his life gravitated more to righteousness than evil. You know, every one of us has sinned. Every one of us. The only person that didn't sin was Jesus, and he was crucified for it. And so again, I want to highlight this right here. He was not a perfect man. Verse 2. And Job had seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the peoples of the East. So you begin to see here, God's blessings were on this man in incredible measures. I mean, I believe he was so blessed that when the people of the region saw him, they were looking and saying, that dude is loaded. He is blessed. Now, I encourage you to read all this chapter and everything, but I'm going to, for time's sake, I'm going to jump to verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come from? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. From patrolling it. So to a degree, the Lord said, what you been up to? Now, if we were to cross-reference this, this would go into the New Testament to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, your adversary, your opponent, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so in this passage, understand this, this is what the devil does. Day by day by day, 
He's patrolling the earth. He's checking things out. He's watching your behaviors. He's watching your actions. You know, several months ago, we had the man, Kelly Kesselman, who, who was a seer. He would see in the spirit realm. And, and he made this comment that he said, all the time, there's these little bitty demons. And he said, when I see them, it's like they have a clipboard with them. And he said, all they do all day long is record everything you're doing. They're recording your actions. They're recording your words. Uh-oh. They're recording just everything we do, our behaviors. And they're writing them down. And so they give those reports to the devil. And so again, the devil's very much aware of what's going on here. Now the word Satan in this verse, it means the accuser. It means uh, the hater. He hates you. He hates me. The devil's not a friend of yours and mine, okay? He can't stand you. Actually, John 10.10 says he wants to kill you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to destroy you. So this is what's going on here. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered or have you noticed my servant Job? Now listen to what God says. There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and he shuns evil. Now when he says this, it's not because of his unrighteousness, but it's in spite of his righteousness. Now I'm going to explain that here in a little bit, okay? Verse number 9. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Now Satan asked God this question. He said, Does Job fear you for any reason? Interesting question. Verse 10. Have you not made a hedge or a wall around him in his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Now you know what the devil is insinuating here? He said because you've had this hedge around him, you've protected him, you've watched over him. He said you take all the things you've blessed him with and you watch he'll curse you to your face. Verse 12, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So literally what he, what's going on here is if we were to study back in Revelations 12, 10, it says he's the accuser of the brethren, the devil is. So what he does, he goes before God day and night accusing us of things. So in this situation right here, he's accusing Job of serving God with the wrong motives. He's saying the only reason he serves you, God, is because you've blessed him so much. Now I'm going to paraphrase this for you a little bit, okay? After this happens, all hell breaks loose in Job's life. His world is turned upside down. It becomes a wreck. It is havoc. He loses all his oxen, his donkeys, his camels. He loses all his servants just like that. And the worst thing 
is his seven sons and his three daughters, they're all wiped out. Gone. Now, every one of us in this room, we've had bad days. But I've never had a day like that. And so in this process of time, now I'm, I'm speeding through the Bible right here, the book of Job. Job's wife looks at him and says, why don't you curse God to his face and die? And then before long, he has these three guys that are called his friends. Now, these aren't the friends you want to have, okay? They begin to speak into his life, and they begin to say, well, did you do this wrong, and did you do that wrong? And they begin to question him over and over. And Job said, I hadn't done that, and I hadn't done that, and I hadn't done that. Now, for time's sake, jump in here with me to chapter 32. We're going to go to Job 32, and then Job 33, and I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to give you little snippets of, of the scripture here. And let me just tell you, this, this was birthed about six months ago in my study in one day, that I begin to pick up some things in here. And sometimes when you read the Bible, really highlight your Bible. Because oftentimes, God will bring that stuff back to remembrance. So, these three friends are so-called friends. Man, they had drilled him and drilled him. Now, we begin in chapter 32, verse 1. So, these three men, or three friends, they ceased answering Job. Now, listen to this. Because he was righteous in his own eyes. You may want to underline that. The New Living said, he kept insisting on his innocence. I've got to be careful when I become righteous in my own eyes. You know what that literally leads to? Everything I'm being blessed with or have, it's because of me. Ooh, I'm so smart. I'm so handsome. I'm such a great this or this and this. And so again, if I keep giving all the glory and honor to me, and I'm telling you, this self-righteousness becomes a trap. And this is what I believe began to happen to him. So verse number two. Then the wrath of Elihu. And you say, who is Elihu? Elihu was a young man. And he was younger than all these. And he had been sitting in and he had been listening to all the three friends had been saying. And he, he heard everything that was taking place. But he didn't want to speak into their life because he was younger but it began to irritate him. So it says here, Then the wrath, the anger of Elihu, the son of Bereshel, the buzzite of the family realm, was aroused against Joab. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. What does that mean? He was angry at Job. Because of Job's self-righteousness. He started looking at Job like, Job, you don't get it, buddy. You don't get it. He was self-righteous in his own eyes. And so the message says, or the New Living says, that Elihu was mad because Job refused to admit that he had ever sinned. Chapter 33, verse number 8. Surely you have spoken in my hearing. I've heard with my ears. And I have heard the sound of your words saying, I am 
pure. I am clean. Now listen to what he says next. Without transgression. I'm without sin. Now this is what Elihu's saying to him. I've heard you say how clean and pure you are. And you're without sin. And he goes on to say. You are innocent. And there is no iniquity or guilt in me. Now Elihu begins to point it out to him. See, sometimes it's very important for us to have people that tell us the truth. Not what I want to hear, but what I need to hear. Verse 12. Look, in this you are not righteous. The message says, Job, you're wrong. You're dead wrong. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Woo! See, it's very easy for us to get over. Oftentimes when we're blessed, oftentimes when we have success, we start thinking it's because of us. You know, all God wants us to do is always give back the praise and the thanks for Him. Do you know the last time you got a raise? How many of have even said to God, thank you? Remember the old, the old saying, song, count your blessings, name them one by one. I believe that's so true. That any time we get off of giving God thanks in any area of our lives, man, we're opening ourselves up to right, uh, uh, that self-righteousness, that pride. Now, I'm going to read Job chapter 33. And what I'm going to read, I'm going to read this in the message. Because it's a lot easier to understand here in the message. But for the next 70 verses... God begins to question Job, his motives. And when I read it, you'll, you'll sense almost a sarcasm in God's eyes and his voice toward Job. Uh, chapter 33. Chapter 38, verse 1. And now finally God answered Job from the eye of a violent storm. And he said, why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet, stand tall. I have some questions for you, and I want some straight answers. Now watch how God begins here. He says to Job, Job, where were you when I created the earth? Tell me. Since you know so much. You're so smart, big boy. Tell me, where were you at when I created the earth? Who decided on its size? Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? Now God begins to say, I want to know. You think you're so smart. Verse number 12. And I just picked out a few in here. I encourage you to read chapter 38 and 39. It's almost humorous to me, but it is a wake-up call for me as a human being to look and say, I can fall into this same trap. He says in verse 12, And have you ever ordered morning to get up? Have you ever told the dawn to get to work? You know what this says in, in, in the King James? It says, Have you ever told the sun when to rise and when to set? I don't think so. And again, many times we get over and think, man, I'm pretty smart. Verse 19. 
Do you know where light comes from and where darkness lives? So you can take them by the hand and lead them home when they get lost. Why, of course you know that. You've known them all your life. You've grown up in the same neighborhood with them. Are you talking about a humbling? Can you imagine being in the presence of God and God looking at you and saying that? And so here's what I want us to understand. We're very similar to Job. God says specifically, those I love, I will correct and rebuke. And so anytime we start thinking we're Mr. and Mrs. Smarty Pants, get ready. Pride goes before destruction. This is verse 31. Do you know, or verse 33, verses 33, 34, and 35. Do you know the first thing about the sky's constellations? And how they affect the things of the earth? Can you get the attention of the clouds and commission a shower of rain? Can you take charge of the lightning bolts and have them report to you for orders? Seventy verses of this. And you know where he goes from to Job? He goes from, have you ever talked to the stars? Have you ever talked to the moon and the sun? And then you know what he goes to? He says, have you ever ordered the clouds when to rain? Have you ever told the snow when to fall? Have you ever told the water bottles to water the earth? I don't think so. And then, I tell you, you got to read it. Some of it is just incredible. He gets over into all the animals. Have you ever told the rooster where to go when the storm's coming? I don't think so. I don't think so, big boy. And so God goes over and over in this. And so I look at this as a wake-up call to me. And I think, you know, sometimes we got the thought, I'm pretty smart. You better be careful. See, again, God has blessed every one of us in this room with talents, with abilities, and with gifts. But who do you give the glory and honor to? When you start thinking, I got promoted because I got it right up here in the kidneys. Some of you caught that. Again, i got to watch this stuff. Because if I'm not careful, this stuff of self-righteousness, well, guess what? I've come to Tuesday night prayer for 23 straight years. Well, do you want a brownie pen? What do you want? Well, I've done this and I've done this. So again, everything falls back on me, on me and me. But again, he said... The only way we become righteous is through Jesus Christ. So again, I begin to yield and I said, Lord, my marriage is blessed because of you. My children are blessed because of you. The job I have because of you. Everything I have, I give you glory and honor. And this is where the devil uses our successes and even our possessions. And he pats you on the back and says, you're brilliant, buddy. You're brilliant. Chapter 40. I'm back, I'm back in the New Living, okay? Chapter number 40. Verse number 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and he said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Woo! Maybe that ought to be the fear of God. I mean, anytime you think you can correct God, you don't want to be around people like that. I mean, you need to run. He who rebukes God, let him answer it. 
Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. Now there becomes a change in Job's heart when he admits I'm vile, when he admits I'm a sinner. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He admits this, and you'll begin to see a change within him. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. The message says, you know what? I think I'm going to shut up and listen. Brilliant. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, Now, prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul, set aside, render void my judgment? Would you condemn me, your God, that you may be justified? You know what that means right there? He said, would you condemn me, your God, so that you may appear righteous? Woo! How many times have we done that? And we weren't even aware of that to a degree. But yet God's looking at us and saying, you guys forget. I'm the potter, you're the clay. I'm the creator, you're the creation. So you know what he's telling him? How can the creation tell the creator what to do? We can't. But when we start doing that, guess what happens? We've now taken the place of God. Ooh, I'm God. I know more than God. Even though I really don't believe any of us would ever say that. Because if you do, you're really messed up. But again, because of our actions and our attitudes, that's the way we come across to God. Now watch how he ends here in verse 11 and 12. Disperse the the rage of your wrath. Unleash it. Look on everyone who is pride or proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Whoop. Now let me tell you what goes on here. Job ultimately repents. And Job gets his heart right. And if you were to go to the last part of the book of Job, you would find out that God restored to him everything double. Everything double that he had lost. His oxen, his camels, his sheep, his servants. And you say, well, God can't double his children. Ten of them have already died. Yeah, he can. You know why? Children live forever. Children live forever, even in heaven. And so God said, you know what? I'm going to replenish everything back to you double. And it comes when I begin to live humble before God. And if you go through there and look, God wanted him to be blessed. God wants you to be blessed. Well, there goes those prosperity pastors. He takes pleasure in the prosperity of the servants. He wants to bless your marriage. He wants to bless your children. He wants to bless you with everything. But the key is, Father God, it's because of you. You're the great Jehovah. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. You own the gold and the silver. You just bless me with it. And as long as I keep myself humble, this is what happens. Go with me to the book of Galatians chapter 2. And we'll end with this. Galatians chapter 2. See again, righteousness or righteous living doesn't make me righteous. Now I'm not downplaying that, okay? 
That's a good thing, but too many times we think that's what qualifies us. Let me ask you a question right now. How many of you think you always have to be right? You have this thought, I'm always right, or I always have to be right. Now quit nudging your spouse, okay? We've got to be careful with that mindset. You know one of the most humbling things to ever say in, in a marriage covenant or any covenant? I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I tell you, that, that word right there can bring freedom. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And again, it, it shows I know I'm not perfect. I'm wrong. Whether it's to my wife, whether it's to God, I'm wrong. And so when you begin to look at all this, is, is my worth and my value, is it a self-constructed identity? It's all because of me. I was on the dean's list. Not for grades, for other things. I'm the valedictorian. That's great. I lettered in whatever. See, again, if I'm not careful, my whole life is made up by all my achievements. And I get away from giving God the glory. And so literally what has to, help here, has to happen here is I've got to quit managing my life. And to yield means I've got to turn it over to God and say, okay, Father God, I'm going to allow you to come in and be God. And if you're the creator, keep working on me. You know what keep working on me is? You're like a, a, a batch of cookies. He pulls you out and says, uh-uh, you're not done. Get back in. Get back in the oven. See, there's nothing wrong with that. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's very easy to say that. I've been crucified with Christ. Literally, that's, you know what that means? i got to die to myself. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so when I read verse 20, victory really has nothing to do with me except when I surrender. The only way I can be saved is through Jesus, John 3.16 and 3.17. The only way I can be forgiven of sin, through Jesus. The only way I become righteous is through Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21. The only way I overcome, according to Revelation 12.11, is through Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. The only way I walk in freedom, through Jesus. John 8, 36, who the Son says free is free indeed. So again, I'm either going to surrender to Him and learn to walk in victory through Christ Jesus, or I'm going to get humbled real quick. Verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if, listen, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain, or it was useless. So you know what that means? If I think I can achieve everything because I obeyed the law, whoo, I'm setting myself up because Christ died and how He died was redundant. He should have never had to die then. But God knew we couldn't pull that off. So He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send Him as your propitiation and your advocate, and He's going to represent you, and He's going to take you right where you need to go when I surrender. 
when I surrender. You know, in John chapter 3, it says this. He must increase and you must decrease. I'm going to highlight two words. Must and increase and decrease. That's three words. Must. Must. So the only way he increases is for me to decrease. And the way I begin to decrease is I humble myself before God and say, God, go to work in me. I, I welcome you today, Lord Jesus. I welcome you in every venue of my life. I ask you to help me to be a champion. And it's all through Christ Jesus. And so literally there's a surrendering, there's a yielding that says, all right, Lord, come into my heart. Come into my heart. Is it a good thing to go to church? It's a great thing to go to church. But that doesn't qualify you, okay? Is it a good thing to tithe? It's a great thing to tithe. But that doesn't qualify me again. Just coming before the Lord and say, man, I surrender. I surrender. You know, I, I, I love the people of the church, and sometimes people have things on their heart. And again, I always respect that. It's just when I can get it into the service. So, Warren, go ahead. Um, I, I just, I love our pastor. I love the fact that he brings the word. Don't you guys? Thank you, pastor. I just want to encourage you guys, though, that Coming to church on Sunday morning is just not here to hear the word of God delivered by our pastor. There's other elements of our church that we need to be consciously and uh, purposefully involved in. Um, and specifically what I want to challenge everybody in here to do is to show up to church 10 minutes before service time. So that you can do two more things rather than listen to the pastor. First, to come in here and fellowship and build community. We need to do life with each other. Don't just walk in and sit down and pull out your phone and look through Facebook while you're waiting for the service to start. Build relationship with each other. Ask each other how each other's doing. Pray with each other. And then the second thing is be here at so that we're on time for worship and spend time in the presence of the Lord. Our worship team, man, they worship. They know how to enter the throne room and we need to be here to enter that with them. I was praying with someone this week and they were experiencing a ton of anxiety. They were uh, the, starting even to go off into depression. And the Lord told me to tell them, you're trying to carry burdens that are not yours. You need to spend time in the presence of the Lord and get your eyes off of those burdens and onto the Lord. It's so amazing that we finished the service today with, the, with these words. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Guys, I'm telling you, that's what is supposed to happen when we worship. But if you come in here and, and, and you, you're here for the last song before the pastor speaks, you have missed an opportunity. Okay? Now, please don't feel like I'm getting on to you. But I want to encourage you to get here early and let's do life together. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.